Tonight on Arena, in TV we've been watching Shogun, the completely made-up adventures of Dick Turpin and Faithless, and Cormac celebrates 15 years of music-making. Five one double five one is the text. You can tweet the program at RTE Arena, and of course, you can watch the live stream. You will find us on rte.ie forward slash arena. Always nice when an artist has a retrospective of their work. The latest to reflect on his own back catalogue is performer, composer, producer Cormac, who celebrates for fifteen years in music with. Cormac, Always the Sound, a retrospective at the National Concert Hall, takes place on Saturday, March the 30th. And to celebrate the event, Cormac will be joined by an array of musical stars. Um, quite a lineup, really, it has to be said. Cormac is with me in, in studio this evening. I, I was thinking about this and listened, listening back to some of the music today, Cormac. You might be a, have a better view now after 15 years. How do you describe your music? Because it's hard, it's hard to <laughs> categorise, isn't it? it? It is. And it's the, it's the, the single hardest question, I suppose, to answer mm. in that I suppose I kind of, you know, um, move work by work, you know. Mm. So when I finished my first record um, all those years ago, um, I kind of made a deal with myself that the next one would be, would be different. And I've been doing that ever since, you know. So it's just kind of born out of it. I suppose I'm a big fan of lots of different types of music mm. and it's a born a bit born out of a kind of a want and a need to explore different techniques and styles and avenues and everything. Yeah, and so it started out very much in a, it's it we're we're on the dance floor. We're talking yeah. about that type of electronic music yeah, essentially, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, I mean kind of bore, or coming from that and coming from hip hop as well, mm. you know. So I was doing a lot of sampling um and and as you correctly say, yeah, like a lot of stuff that was aimed at the dance floor. So uh my first record was very much that and very you know, I was very happy to do that, but where, as they kind of followed, I just wanted to do different things. And know. as the 15 years went on, did you decide, I want to do a little bit of sitting down now, as opposed <laughs> to running out to the know, dance floor? I mean, yeah, well, sort of. I mean, I, I wanted to make more music for sure, yeah. you know, so I'm definitely doing less DJing than I was mm. then for sure, but, um, but I've never made more music in my life than I am now, so it's all good. You know? um, um, wh- why do you think that is? is, it, is... Um, I suppose it's just because when I was doing, like, there was a a decade of my life where I was at the airport every weekend and doing shows abroad and doing, mm. obviously doing shows here as well um, but it was kind of like you know you'd spend two days preparing for them and then you'd be kind of wrecked for a day when you came back and you know I think to be uh, well for me to be productive in the studio I kind of need to be match fit and kind of uh, you know uh, getting a run at it so you know, yeah because the album I'm going to play a couple, a couple of tracks off the new, new album which is a, a equivalent exchange isn't Indeed, it yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean that that has that's the first album in over a decade. Was there a kind of a period that you needed to reflect and sit back and let the thoughts come in? Or? For sure. I mean, I, I suppose before I released that album, I got into doing film and TV scores as well. Mm. So I'd probably put out like six hundred pieces of music. You know yeah, what I mean? It wasn't so, that you were sitting at home doing abs- nothing? Absolutely not. No, I was kind of working harder than ever. Um, but yeah, I mean, and that album was my first with an orchestra as, as we were chatting about off air yeah. I, was, I did that with the Irish Chamber Orchestra and a lot of the collaborators that as, as you say will be with us on the 30th of March and it um, it just takes a lot of time and you know throw COVID into the mix and all of that yeah. so you well know. the presence of an orchestra and like so many artists that are there Loa, Jack O'Rourke Shahab and Cheyenne uh, the, 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 the two brothers the, the Cooey brothers the Cooey yes, brothers yes, uh, May Kay uh, Claire Young and there are others there as well I mean yeah. it, it, it will be quite the night indeed but I want to start by listening to a track called 
carry weight, which yeah. features which features Loa. Just maybe lead us into what was what was in your mind around this piece. It's it's got phenomenal soundscape in it. Thank you. Um, yeah, that was one of the first pieces I wrote for Equivalent Exchange, um, and. Loa was one of the first uh, like vocal artists that I approached mm. to work with me on it. And it was one of the first times in my life that I'd given um, an artist that I was kind of proposing to work with a very skeletal track, you know. So you, I kind of had gotten into the habit of giving people sort of pretty much finished things and being like, right, sing here and here and we're yeah. done. So this was different. And um, so Sally was able to, um, you know, come at me with loads and loads and loads of ideas, which mm. was great. Um, so and when we kind of just went back and forth and edited from there. And and then were the orchestra in the mix from the start, or did they? Kind um, of I had written orchestral lines, as in I'd written loads of strings for them. Mm. But um, again, there was another back and forth process yeah. from there. Well, let's let's have a listen. Carry Wit featuring Loa and the Irish Chamber Orchestra. And there it comes back again. I was just asking. That's a Cormac's track, Carry Weight, featuring the, the voice of Loa there, the playing of the Irish Chamber Orchestra in the mix as well. Cormac with me in the studio this evening ahead of his retrospective at the National Concert Hall, Saturday the 30th of March. I was asking you about that kind of pizzicato sound that we heard, the yeah. plucking sound that yeah, we heard yeah. at the beginning. Not quite a harp, but it's a kind of a harp, is it? Yeah, it's it, it, that whole track started with uh, really, really high-pitched harp lines that I've dropped by two or three octaves, mm. which is like 24 to 36 notes lower than they should be, if you know. So yeah. just by changing the pitch and manipulating the audio like that, you get these kind of strange artefacts and what I guess are undertones that just yeah. give it a unique sort of sound or something that I, I you know, I, I'm kind of constantly aiming just for something a little bit new and a little bit different, but still organic. But, but all that strikes me with your music, I, I, I think, you know, because... Obviously, there's a lot of manipulation, electronic mm. and manipulation and you know, computer manipulation of the sound going on. Sure. What is the challenge of creating music like that live, which is what you'll be doing with the live orchestra? Yeah. A lot of moving parts on the 30th of March. There are. I mean, often with me, the sounds that I begin with are organic recordings. You know, mm. I come from a recording background on to like four track tape recorders and stuff yeah. like that. So so it's it's I'm interested in sort of the organic sounds and what we can do with them digitally. You know? Yeah, so, so you would often record real acoustic sounds oh, uh, and then play with every, that. Every day, yeah, for sure. Um, so doing it live, you know, you can kind of work it back to that a little bit, you know. So I, I, I tend to do to do both. Like I'll trigger a lot of the kind of not achievable mm. or not playable electronic yes. sounds. Let's say that I'll trigger them from my kind of um, set up on stage and then you know we've got brass sections that play notes we've got bass and drums and obviously on the 30th the full, full chamber orchestra yeah, so, so in some can, cases we'll hear well maybe the brass or we'll hear the strings ne- not necessarily hear what exactly they're playing sonically but we'll hear a kind of a treated version of it um, a, a, do you know the strings are pretty much as is actually I kind of wanted particularly for the Equivalent Exchange album I, I kind of wrote it mm. so that uh in the hope that the listener would listen to it as if they were in a in yeah. a concert hall or in the concert hall, so so I, I you know I, I have no problem letting the organic elements be to the fore as well. You know I just well, I'm interested in how they sit with the manipulated elements. You know, there's a I mean the the album is a very personal album in many ways, not least of uh, if which is the track specifically the track featuring May Kay, which is called Always the Sound. Yeah, yeah. Give me a exactly. little bit of the background to this. So yeah, Always the Sound is the name of uh, that track and of my record label actually, and it was. Um, the title comes from a poem my late mum wrote before she died. So she was really, really ill uh, before my wife and I got married, like 
uh, terminally ill. Mm. Um, How long ago was that? That was in 2018. So, yeah. So basically we were married um, in the middle of the month and then she died uh, a week later. So, you know, obviously she wasn't able to make the wedding. Mm. So, uh, so yeah, she wrote a poem or had written a poem basically about kind of about myself and my wife, Trina. But uh, the first half of it is about my sort of fascination and obsession with kind of founding sounds and hearing sounds. Yeah, because she watched that that. long before there was any Trina. Exactly. And encouraged it and, you know, um, did a lot to to help me develop it. And when when something is that personal, I mean, I'm sure at the time, obviously, it was it was quite difficult. Yes, in and around the time of the wedding, I'm I'm sure added huge layers of emotion uh, into the whole experience. To get the time to to stand away from it and then to go back and work with the music. Does yeah. the does the emotion disappear, or do you, is it just a bit easier to handle? Do you know, I, 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 to be honest, I saw it as quite a, a fitting tribute. You know, yeah. I think it's something that she, I know it's something that she would have liked. You know, um, and the way we approached it is, I kind of took the, the poem, I wrote the poem out on a sheet hmm. of paper, and just took certain lines from it and handed them to make a and just said, sing really? whatever you know, appeals to you. So, Your old-fashioned you know, sampling in some ways again, isn't it? Absolutely that, absolutely that. It's a cut-up, you know. So, um, yeah, and, you know, I, I, I kind of explained what the uh, what it meant to me and stuff and Mary would be, you know, well yeah. able to kind of to handle that yeah. and to treat that as it, uh, as my mum would have wanted. So we were, um, yeah, no, I like, it's why I called my record label that and it was a, a yeah. fitting uh, title for March the 30th. Beautiful, yeah, and lo- lovely that her name is there in the record label as well as in, in the retrospective. I, I hope so, I hope so, yeah. That's just the opening section of Always the Sound, and that from a, a, that's also an equivalent exchange comic. It is yeah, indeed. Yeah, it's yeah. on the album, the new album, Always the Sound. The title of the poem written by Cormac's mother, yeah. uh, the title of the record label, <laughs> the title of the concert, and and obviously. That was always a kind of philosophy within your head, and, and your mum picked up on that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's funny about the concert. We, we were kind of struggling with what to name it for about a week. My manager mm. and I, and I just like looked around in my studio. I was like, "This has literally been staring at me for a week," you know. So yeah. it was nice. I, yeah. it, it's nice to bring it in. But yeah, absolutely. You know, I've always had a kind of a uh, a very deep fascination with music and music making and recording and all of that since I was a kid. You know, how different a process is it? I mean, because obviously we're talking about your own music to a large extent. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say your own music, I mean music that has come from within you. There's no as a commission, as it were. There's nobody sure. saying we need forty <laughs> seconds of music or we need a theme tune for this particular for this particular aspect. When it comes to writing uh, soundtracks and particularly TV soundtracks, is that a very different process for you? It's I mean, I still work in the way that I like to work and I still write only things that kind Mm. of excite me, you know. Um, It is different in that you're telling a story, Mm. you're part of a team, you're talking with directors and editors all the time. But I find it so exciting because, you know... um, I've just finished a show called This Town and for that there was a certain sonic palette and I kind of put a little band together in my head for that and now I'm working on another show and that's a completely different sonic palette so I kind of get to like join this new band, this new fictional band every six months or so. Tell tell me a bit about The Diplomat, uh, which was, you you had also written the music for that, hadn't you? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. The Diplomat, um, that was last year, yeah, it was great. So The Diplomat was set in Barcelona Hmm. um, and we kind of came up with this idea that 
it wouldn't have any strings or any orchestral elements at all because it was just wrong for it. You know, yeah. it, was, it wasn't kind of hazy enough for want of a better word. And so, yeah, so um, I en- enlisted my friend, May Kay, and we, we wrote a song for each. The six, it's a six-part series, or season one yeah. is six parts. And we wrote a song for each episode and then kind of sampled that. Um, which of, would you rather hear or rather we listen to? Which, oh yeah, we, I have uh, Mariana Cabal, uh, All the Faithful Come, or I have Grandad and Gaga in Norfolk. I think we'll do Grandad and Gaga in Norfolk. <laughs> why, why have you chosen that? Uh, um, I, do you know, they're just my two favourites on it. I was speaking to your producer earlier and I'd like, like the thing with soundtrack albums is there's like 20 tracks on it. So yeah, if, yeah. I had to, if I had to pick one. But uh, look, I'm, I'm uh, equally fond of the two of them, but let's go with Grandad and Gaga. <laughs> And as we listen to that then, uh, Grandad and Gaga Norfolk, which, which I'm presuming Cormac was the title of that particular episode, was <laughs> it, it? It, it was, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a key point of the story, not right, to spoil it, but yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, so, so some kids got to spend some time with Grandad and Gaga. Yeah, yeah in, 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 in Norfolk. <laughs> um, this is, uh, Cormac speaking to me about his music and that from his soundtrack to The Diplomat. I know that uh, you were also particularly happy with a, a, a show, you'd, a documentary, is it, for The New Yorker, Swift Justice? Yeah, yeah, it was, um, Swift Justice was, uh, it was a project basically by my late friend uh, like a, and great filmmaker and photographer Ross MacDonald um, so he spent some time in an Afghani courtroom basically uh, for the New Yorker magazine and essentially documented you know what was going on in the justice system under mm. the control of the Taliban since they retook control so um, yeah it's quite a heavy watch in that uh, well for loads of reasons but mm. you know I'll let you watch it but um, yeah so it was Again, a, a completely different sonic uh, avenue and yeah. a, a different story to tell and support and, you know, to propel. So, uh, yeah, so like I'm, 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 I'm very proud of that, not least because I got to work with Ross in it, but just because of the... Uh, you know, the issues that are that, that, that the film that, raises. That the film, the yeah. film brings up. I'll finish with, we mentioned Shahab and Cheyenne Kuhay yeah. at the beginning of the, at the beginning of our chat. I'll finish up with This Is Where We Are. Thank I you. mean, what, that, that, this event on the 30th of March, mm. is? It, it, do you feel it like a stock taking or just a big celebration and, and I, let's see what's next? I, so, someone asked me if I was retiring recently. I was like, <laughs> God, no, no. No, honestly, uh, I, I really, I, it's just a bit of a kind of a stake in the ground and to be honest, you know, we've we've always wanted to kind of get everyone together mm. and to see, um, you know, to play in the, the National Concert Hall, for sure, to be honest. Um, and, you know, as in, I'm definitely the happiest I've been writing music at the moment and I'm definitely uh, making the most music I've ever made. And, yeah, you know, so we're... Just the number of collaborations across the album is huge. No, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky to have people who are, you know, still willing to work with me, which is great. But no, we're, we're really, really looking forward to it and we've big plans and we've more more surprises to come and yeah we've a hu- great team on it and right. we're, well, we're delighted I suppose it's kind of apt then that if it's putting a, a, a marker in the ground this is where we are it's exactly kind of what, yeah. it's kind of what I the, hadn't thought of that yeah, yeah exactly that's exactly. what the track is saying isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> we'll finish that and I'll give people full details of the, of the gig again Cormac after you listen to this is where we are from the album Equivalent Exchange uh, featuring Shaihab and Cheyenne Kui and Cormac thanks so much thanks for so much John thanks in the studio this evening
There we go. What a magnificent sound that is. This is where we are from the album that we've been talking about indeed and will be part of the retrospective as well. The album equivalent exchange from Cormac and the retrospective Always the sound of quoting his mum, uh, a retrospective Saturday the 30th of March 2024 at the National Concert Hall. Uh, you'll have Cormac will be there, the Irish Chamber Orchestra will be there, Meke, Loa, Shahab and Cheyenne and many, many more Saturday the 30th of March and you'll get full details on the National Concert Hall website nch.ie. Great competition for you this evening. Dublin International Film Festival offering a pair of tickets to its closing night gala. This is the much-anticipated adaptation of John McGahern's That They May Face the Rising Sun. The screening is this Saturday at the Lighthouse Cinema. And thanks to the official partner of the Dublin International Film Festival, they being the, the official hotel partner, the Merion Hotel, winners will also be able to spend the night uh, in the hotel and a garden wing room with full Irish breakfast the next morning in the Marion Hotel's garden room restaurant. So to be in with a chance of winning that prize, what a prize it is. Uh, your name and answer to the following question, text them to 51551. We'll have the winner before the end of tonight's programme. Here is the question. That they may face the rising sun is an adaptation of John McGahern's uh, novel, of course. What county is most associated with the work of John McGahern? Text the answer and your own name to 51551. I will announce the winner to the competition before the end of tonight's programme. You're listening to Wednesday Night's Arena. Woken is an Irish sci-fi dystopian thriller written and directed by Alan Friel, about to receive its world premiere at the Dublin International Film Festival. Anna, played by Erin Kellyman, is a young pregnant woman who wakes up on a remote island after an accident with no memory of who or where she is. She's in the care of three people. One, a husband she doesn't recognise. Another is Helen, played by Maxine Peake, who tells her not to worry about anything, just to focus on the baby and getting better. Everything about the eerie atmosphere tells Anna and the audience otherwise. Delighted to be joined by Maxine Peake on the line this evening, who will be travelling to Ireland uh, for the premiere, travelling to Dublin for the premiere on, on Friday evening. But this character of Helen, if Helen said to me, don't worry about anything, I, I think I'd start to worry immediately, Maxine. <laughs> yeah, the, it's, it, the, the sinister overtones is the not, yeah. <laughs> Did, did you get that even even on the read on the first reading when you read the script? Did you see oh there's there's an awful lot going on here that is not in the words that any of the characters are saying? Yes, yes. I mean, there's there's, there's a you know Alan has created a yeah a very sort of off kilter world mm. really that you know these people inhabit and there's so many layers and 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 mistruths and people not who they say they are or so it's a yeah it's a quite a complex set of relationships that are going on between the characters yeah and and it takes us as as viewers a little while to fully understand what what is going on as well an island location for any film kind of gives it that kind of closed in and and claustrophobic feel yeah. what was that like as a as a shooting um, situation for you guys were you on an island were you more or no, less we, 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 we were just on the west coast of ireland ah, so right. we i had the absolute <laughs> 
I had the best time. It's one of my most favourite filming, you know, filming experiences because it's so beautiful. But because you know, you've got that sort of lan- lunar landscape down mm. on the Burren and round there. But you know, we were, we did quite a bit on Fano Beach, and we were out near um, Ennis Simon and all around there. But yeah, um, and Doolin. So we were, it's just how it's, you know, been shot and directed. Yeah. It does feel you're on some sort of small, you know, enclosed island. Yeah, yeah, because you had all the delights of County Clare there and I'm sure many's a fine night, uh-huh. of, and my fine night of music was enjoyed, but I felt I was watching these people who were totally isolated from the world. There you go. So yeah. <laughs> Alan, Alan Freel, uh, writer and director, achieved his goal in that. Let us listen yeah. to, to a clip which gives us a sense of the sort of eerie atmosphere that we're talking about, Maxine. This is uh, when Anna, as we say, we see her at the beginning of the film in a very dramatic scene. And then the next bit, fairly quickly on, we see her waking up in this house. She doesn't know where she is. Um, And this is Anna, played by Erin Kellyman. And the first voice that she hears is Maxine Peake as the character of Helen. You've been unconscious for two weeks. Oh, Anna. Anna. What's your name? <laughs> oh, look who's awake. Well, I'll leave you two to it. Wait, who's he? Sweetheart, James is your husband. Stay. Maybe James will help you remember, I promise. I won't go far. Now, uh, I think the fall has knocked some memories out of her. Peter will be so happy you've come round. Not too long. She needs a rest. <laughs> there we go, Maxine Peake. As the very nice Helen, it seems initially, at any rate, <laughs> in Woken. But even in that scene, and I guess this is in the writing, and to be fair, in, in how you played that little switch just as she's walking out and she turns around to the young character, Anna, the, the the woman who is pregnant and on the bed and doesn't know what has happened. Her so-called, in inverted commas, husband. We don't know if it's true or not. We will find out later in the film. Uh, Ivano Jeremiah playing the part there. When she, when Helen turns around and says, not too long now, she needs her rest, you, you realise there's a bit of metal in this woman behind all that niceness. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, everyone in the on the island. I mean, apart from Anna, because she's not conscious really of mm. what's happening, is fighting to survive really without giving too much away. Yeah, you know, they've got to. Yeah, they're, 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 it's sort of it feels like a very tight group, but in many ways, it's sort of every person for themselves, you know. So. Yeah, and I, I don't think we're giving too much to, away to say that we, we get a sense that elsewhere in the world things are pretty bad, and when people try to come to the island, they're certainly not welcome. We're we're, <laughs> no. we're in a type of we're in a COVID type of situation here, re, re, really, where there's all sorts of fears about uh, being infected. That's what's there. Did did, yes. did COVID help all of you as cast members? You know, the experience of the pandemic did it feed into the way you played things in this film? Yeah, and because it's interesting because the, Alan had written the film, you know, um, 
pre-COVID. Mm. And so, and I did a short with Alan probably about six, seven years ago. And, and then he told me I had an idea for a feature. And I said, you know, count me in. Um, so as as with film, it takes a long time to get, you know what I mean? Yeah. A long time to get things sort of off the ground. So, yeah, but it did. It did feed into it. And I suppose everyone, you know, we'd all had that experience of, yeah, of, 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 of keeping away, of, of, um, yeah, of, so we did, I can't even think of the word. Having, having to isolate, wrong. having to isolate yourself. Isolate, that's yeah. it. It's, it's the trauma. It's, it's gone, it's gone, it's gone, but yeah, the, so it, it did feed into it. And then there wasn't, you know, and, and I think, obviously as well, there was, we, we thought, oh, crikey, you know, people going to be like, oh, I don't know whether we want another. Mm. <laughs> We've just been through all this, but... I think it's got a, you know it's got a very you know a different element to it as well and but, but it has got that sort of post apocalyptic something's yeah. gone we're in a different yeah sort of as you say it, it it deepens out from the idea of you know a simple a, a pandemic movie it really broadens out from that bigger yes. themes come into play human cloning comes into play AI comes into play all of those kind of climate change you could even argue the climate crisis yeah. every, everything yeah. comes into play here what Alan has what Alan Freel has has managed to pack into that what was it you said the minute he asked you on the short what was the short that you did and what was that why was that experience so good that you said count me in from the outset because um, we did we, we did a, the first short I did was a piece called Cake and it was we filmed one day in Dungeness with the amazing Letitia um, Wright. There was me and Letitia, it was just the two of us. And again, it was sort of an end, you know, well, not again, but mm. it was sort of an end of the world. It was a bit of a Beckett-esque sort of waiting for God, all these two women in dinner suits who were worse for were and something had, had gone on and their relationship was very fractured, an older woman and a younger a younger woman, and I just saw and, and the brilliant Robbie Ryan, um, uh, you know, cinematographer shot mm. it, and it just had a sense of um, foreboding and an amazing atmosphere. But there's always a, there's a, a sense of hu- there's a dark sense of humour that I think, it, you know, there's a, a left fieldness to Alan's work that I love because even and I think in Walken as well, there's there's some humour and some quirks that you know, pu- push through it. It's not, he, he has, it's a slightly, there's a mm. surrealism to his work that I, I, it really speaks to me. You know, it's my sort of kind of thing. And I often wonder about, you know, on a set like that, it, people talk about on a comedy set, if you're still laughing at the, if, if the cast and everybody else is still laughing at the jokes after a couple of weeks, well, maybe it's only funny for you guys. It needs to be quite a serious kind of set in some ways. When you're on a very, because it's so tense as, as, as a watch is Woken. When you're on a set like that, is it the opposite? I mean, is there great levity to kind of get away from the tension that you're creating anytime the cameras are rolling? Yeah, no, definitely. We did have a lot of laughs. And I think because of the group of actors that we were as well, I mean, you take your work seriously, but not yourself. Mm. And I think, you know, Aaron and, you know, Ivano got, you know, brilliant sense of humour and we did do a lot of giggling and some of the scenarios you know and there's you know there's I don't want to give away but there's a scene where two people come to the island and you know there's lots of sort of <laughs> there's a lots of hilarity mainly the amazing sort of um yeah what can I say appearance yes but yeah we did we we yeah it was just you know I don't mean to be fun you know but you're in you know we're in Ireland yeah. with an Irish crew who were just 
brilliant and joyful and and kept us all smiling, you know. So And also you had the Irish actor Peter MacDonald, who, who you had worked with previously on, on, on yeah, Peter Plays he plays Dr. Yeah. Henry and every everybody's name I say when I'm doing it in the studio here, I'm putting um, air inverted commas, he plays Dr. Henry. Again, we find out much more about who these people actually are. Yeah. But Peter had worked with you on Fanny Lie Delivered, which we spoke about in fact on this programme back in, in, in 2020. Um, it, it must have been nice to, to hook back back up with him again in, in, yeah. in that respect. I, I, and there were aspects of Woken that kind of reminded me of that folk horror aspect that was there in, in Fanny Lie Delivered, despite that Fanny Lie Delivered was set in the past. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And it, it, it feels, it, you know, it's about female awakening, mm. you know, as Fanny Lie was, and then this character, you, you know, that that Erin plays. And it, yeah, and, and I did... I mean, again, I can't say too much because I'll give it away, but there was a similar scenario <laughs> Peter played out again that we, we, we played out in Panama. But I have to... Peter MacDonald is, is, is a bit of a devil because you can't... Standing across from him trying to act without laughing, I mean, it's quite a, it's quite a feat. He's mm. just got funny bones, you know, and we'd all... And I've been telling him because I've got a good friend, uh, Tom Fowler, used to write and, and being your bad self. So I was getting people to watch... Um, <laughs> You know, game on YouTube and getting episodes of that with Pete, you know, with, with Peter in. But yeah, it was it was great to work with him again, and he's so easy going and and brilliant, but fun at the same time. And and just uh, to to finish up, and this is probably a bit like I, I was saying when we were talking about Woken today with the team. I said it's very hard to talk about this film because we can't give anything away, <laughs> you yeah. know, because it really <laughs> there are so many reveals as it goes along. It it adds and the the tension really does ramp up uh, towards the end. But you're you you're playing Dolores Price, Dolores Price and Say Nothing, which is a new TV series based on Patrick yes. Radden Keefe's book about the abduction and disappearance of Jean McConville in Belfast in. 1972. Yeah. Now, don't tell me you can say nothing. <laughs> that's not well, what I, I want to. I, can you I, say I, a bit? I, well, I, I, you know, that's sort of what you said. You sort of what I, you know, I, I mean, obviously, I haven't seen any of it yet, mm. and it is based very much on the book. You know, I play older dollars. Got the amazing Lola Petty crew playing. You know, for the sort of lion's share, and I come in later on in 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 the in the series. But uh, you, you know, it, it, it's it brilliant, brilliant scripts on a, it based on a brilliant book. So it's you know, and, and that has got a fabulous young cast uh, as. You know, like with Walker, like, you, you know, there's where's all this talent coming from? You know, <laughs> there's all these. But uh, you know, it's it's always a privilege, and you you know, I think you learn more from the younger actors. But yeah, it's got this sensational young young cast to who take you yeah. through the majority of it, and uh, me and the fabulous Helen B and sort of take you through yeah. the last bit. And and how easy is it to slip from that wonderful never lost Northern accent of yours, <laughs> a Northern England accent of yours, into a Northern Irish accent? I don't. I don't know. Maybe I will never be able to visit Belfast after. <laughs> I mean, I had an amazing dialect coach, Jude McSpadden, and Crikey, she she earned her money, you know. <laughs> and she was on set all the time, and she was tweaking, and she was brilliant. And you know, of course, I was nervous. Of yeah. course, I was I was really nervous. But it just felt like a part that I couldn't I couldn't pass up. So I, yeah. And every all the rest of the cast were very generous. Majority of the cast were from Northern Ireland, so they were. That <laughs> they helped. Were very that every, everybody was. Uh, the accent was around you at all times. And Maxine, yeah. lovely, lovely to speak with you this evening.
evening. Congratulations on Woken. And you, Thank you, you. you will be travelling. I presume you're coming in the next day or two, are you? Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm on, on my way on Friday. So I'm really looking forward to it. I can't wait. All right. Well, safe trip and enjoy the premiere Thank when it happens. You. That's Maxine Peake. Maxine Teakin is talking to us about Woken, which will be screened at the Lighthouse Cinema. Quarter past eight this coming Friday, the 1st of March. And Maxine will be in attendance, as she told us, and that's all part of this year's Dublin International Film Festival. Full details on diff.ie. And so to uh, Arena's TV reviews this week. The FX series Shogun is on Disney+. Plus. It's uh, an original adaptation of James Clavell's best-selling novel set in Japan in the year 1600 at the dawn of the century-defining civil war produced and starring Hiroyuki Sanada who plays Lord Yoshi Toranaga who is fighting for his life as his enemies on the Council of Regents unite against him. Next up, a comedy and adventure series The Completely Made-Up Adventures of Dick Turpin. This is on Apple TV. Stars no Fielding, who you know from The Mighty Boosh and indeed The Great British Bake Off. He plays the titular role of Dick Turpin, legendary British highwayman who sets out on a journey of wildly absurd escapades when he's made the reluctant leader of a band of outlaws. And finally, Faithless, brand new comedy drama series on Virgin Media, co-written by and starring Baza Shwami. The series follows an Irish-Egyptian dad called Sam played by Baz, who is presented with the life-altering responsibility of raising his three young daughters alone following the death of his wife. Joined in studio this evening by Chris Wasser and Jen Gannon. And let's start with Shogun on Disney+. Plus. I'd love to say to one or other of you, explain the plot of this to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's use up all those minutes explaining <laughs> the plot. It, it, it's a big sprawling plot in and around this moment in, in Japanese history when I suppose the big overlords uh, had to join forces cause, and see who was going to be in charge. But into the mix, which is, I think, where where this series goes, comes a band of cowboys. It's <laughs> the only way I can describe them. Led by Cosmo Jarvis, um, Portuguese merchants, they say. Mm, yes. I mean, and this, I mean, people might be familiar with Shogun because it was mm. a, a huge miniseries back in 1980 starring Richard Chamberlain. But this is not your mother's Shogun, basically. So this is a proper reimagining of the James Clavell novel. And as you said, in, you know, 16, 1600s Japan, um, a, a time of feudal disarray. Yeah. So this ghost ship lands in on the shores of this small Japanese fishing village and out comes this British John Blackthorne, played by a very Sawai. Cosmo Jarvis. Now I have to say this performance for me, it's like vintage young Oliver Reed. Um, It's extraordinary. It feels like he's wandered in from the set of like a a BBC drama from 1965 and I think there's that kind of energy to him and brio to him and basically he wants to stake his claim on this new part of the world because he's heard the tales of the dominant Portuguese trade within Japan and he is trying to introduce the, you know, Protestant Mm. English influence into the country. So he is on, on one hand trying to do this but this is not told exclusively through Western eyes this is not about you know a Westerner coming in and, and going oh my god isn't Japan so strange look at the funny things that they do it's more about you know the, the other characters there um, Hiroyuki Sanada's yeah. lord and the the five noblemen that are scrapping basically like a, a Game of Thrones battle uh, these dynasties that are fighting to become the ruler of Japan Yeah and, and we have three languages at play here we, we have English we have Portuguese and we have Japanese obviously being spoken by the, the Japanese character let's mm-hmm. listen we're going to give you a clip in English we decided it would be the best 
best one to go with um, from Shogun and this is quite early on in episode one the, the crew of the Dutch trading ship called the Erasmus they're, they're trying to figure out who has captured them and where are they so John Blackmore played by very posh Cosmo Jarvis yes. it has to be said certainly in terms of accent is is trying to work out what's the best way forward can I can I get out and negotiate our way out of this very frightening situation can you tell them what they are or are they cafe it's what I've been telling you they're Japanese Don't all thank your good fortune at once. We've reached it. Portugal's secret empire in the east. Impossible. The orders are still on. What part of this is still on? All I know is we had Spanish ships to the south and north of us out of Santa Maria. And this pilot got us through. We can still negotiate. We have goods to trade. Not to mention I speak fluent Portuguese. As soon as the Portuguese tell them who we are, we'll be hanged. They don't know who we are because the rutters are still locked in the Captain General's quarters. And as long as they stay that way, we are safe. We're just merchants. Lost at sea. Looking for safe passage home. I have to say, Cosmo <laughs> Jarvis may speak fluent Portuguese or his character, but Cosmo Jarvis is speaking fluent Richard Burton there. I mean, it's yeah. straight out of the Richard Burton school it, of acting. Yeah, you took the words out of my mouth. It is as if he listened to Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds the night before <laughs> he started shooting and said, yep, that's what I'm going to do. Um, it is quite effective. Uh, we were just talking about how it takes a few episodes mm. for, you know, this rhythm to kick in and for you to get used to that. Because at first, given that everything is so slow and just the dialogue, whenever the Japanese these characters are in it there's nothing like that there's no overacting there's no yeah. grandstanding mm. so whenever Cosmo comes in it's like someone just threw a grenade into it um, which I guess it fits in with the idea because they both refer to the, the Japanese refer to the Europeans as barbarians yes. and the Europeans refer to the Japanese as barbarians maybe that's the point here in I some know, ways yeah. a lot of it is the point I think because they're, they are attempting to do a lot as you said with the mix of languages but the husband and wife writing team it's uh, Rachel Kondo and Justin Marks who was responsible for the script for Top Gun yeah. Maverick they're concentrating on like construction shogun as this immersive saga like told from all those different points of view and every character feels like an alien to each other at one time or other and it's about language in that yeah. way the power that language I, has I, I'll give each of you 10 seconds on Game of Thrones versus <laughs> versus shogun I, I think for me I think this is something completely different it, it, you know that sounds all highfalutin what I've just said there mm. but it's plenty violent as well in, in that kind of Game of Thrones and frame it's a graphically violent sex scenes thrown yeah, in yeah there's a well. lot of brutality of the era thrown in there and, and it kind of reminded me more of Scorsese's silence with those graphic scenes of beheadings mm. and, and murders etc and it's not some of it is not for the faint hearted in that way I do think that the dynasty what's shaping up to be that kind of Game of Thrones esque you know battle for power uh, um, that might hook people in, but I think it's a lot more subtle and a lot more intricate than something like Game of Thrones, for sure. Yeah, I think, anyway. I think because there is a historical element here, it's an awful lot more intelligent than anything Game than, than Game of Thrones ever was. But it does feel as though it needs to kind of 
wake us up every now and then. You know, it's like, here's a bit of gore. Here's one of the uh, Blackthorns men being boiled alive, unfortunately, or here's a, a gratuitous sex scene, as you said. Um, but I think the the um, the decision, just going back to the, the, the language, so many times we, we've sat here and said that an international drama would be, you know, so much improved if they weren't, if, the, if, if international actors weren't required to give us an English script. Mm. It just yeah. doesn't seem right. So to have Japanese actors yeah, it and does to have, make sense. you know, more than 50% of the dialogue. You have to work, yeah, you have to work It does, yeah, yeah. And we should mention um, Lady Marika played by Anna Sawai and indeed Lord Toranaga who's the kind of the good guy amidst the, the Japanese he wants to see progress in, in a peaceful way played well, by kind of using, yeah. he's using like he's using Cosmo him. Jarvis's character as a useful idiot yeah. to, as a bargaining tool which <laughs> is interesting in itself but he thinks Cosmo Jarvis's character Lord, Blackthorn thinks he's defended him so he kind of becomes his protector yeah. in another way so it's all very clever it's all about power moves and it looks beautiful I have to say I mean we're always complaining about you know not being able to see things properly on yeah. TV or whatever and I think the production design yeah. and the cinematography are, are absolutely spectacular and there's one little one look at the end of episode one between Cosmo Jarvis's character and the Lady Mariko and I, the minute I saw that look I thought alright there's the next four or five episodes <laughs> oh, yeah, of, that's yeah. the romance element taken oh care. anyone who's ever watched television before will know that there's a romance coming down the line <laughs> yeah. uh, it is extravagantly budgeted and you can see all of that money on the screen it's quite immersive it's quite cinematic worth it then um, it is it's what worth it worth it's the watch? definitely yeah I think it's it's probably a bit long in places like take your time with this mm. because this is going to be on every week. No, the first episode that uh, crosses the 70 minute mark. So I think this is best. You know, it feels like something from decades ago. So we should treat it like that. Watch one episode a week. There you go. And what are you saying? It's a luxury. It is a luxury. And I think, you know, the depth and the initial narrative confusion at the beginning pays off when it settles down in episode two. And then from episode two onwards, you can just really enjoy it. You enjoy the ride. Briefly stars. Chris. I'll, go, I'll go with three and a half out of five. Three and a half. Three and a half, three and a half. Let's go then. Uh, two comedy series today in their second, in our second and third offerings this, uh, this evening. The completely made up adventures of Dick Turpin. Uh, Noel Fielding is the legendary British highwayman who sets on a wild journey when he's made the reluctant leader of a band of outlaws. Even as I say that, I'm getting po-faced. No. <laughs> getting po-faced. <laughs> the completely made up adventures. How funny is this? Oh, I just think it's an excuse for Noel Fielding to live out his adamant fantasy and mm. I'm okay with that. And like full disclosure here, I'm a massive I'm Mighty Boosh fan. And I, I really believe that the success of this series will depend on whether you find Noel Fielding's brand of humour whimsical uh, or you find it, you know, absolute poison. You find it like nails down the chalkboard. And so if you don't like elongated bits about field mice in tiny tricorn hats, then proceed with caution. But for me, the Boosh was built on the implausible and the surreal. This is more within the boundaries of, of TV. It's very clear yeah. that they're trying to tame, you know, Noel Fielding's kind of flight, wilder flights of fancy. But, it, you know, I think it's, it's Vince Noir from The Mighty Boosh in a hat in a, and minus the jumpsuit and in a cape and that's okay because yeah. when you're hiring Noel Field and you understand you're not going to get Daniel Day-Lewis mm. you're getting another version of his Boosh character and it works for me. It reminded me of the kids BBC show that I used to love called Marion and her Merry Men which was about you know a feminist retelling, retelling of the Robin Hood yeah. story where Marion was the leader of the group and the rest of them were all you know Robin Hood was yeah. a, a vain hapless character and it's like that it has that kind of genial humour okay, very well, warm. Yeah, As you say Noel Fielding is playing he, he's, he's pretending here that his name is Dick Turpin he could say here my name is Noel Fielding but not to be <laughs> yeah. Dick Turpin let's have a listen he's about to be he's about to be hanged and this is what's <laughs> happening here but I don't think that's going to happen in episode one for somehow or other any last words yeah give me a minute I know what you're thinking 
Who is this guy with the incredible cheekbones? Where does he get his hair done? His jacket's supreme. Those things aren't important. Well, they are a little bit. What is important is that my name is Dick Turpin, and one day I'll be the most famous highwayman in all of England. You are literally about to be hanged, you idiot. <laughs> I'm not an idiot, actually, because my gang are going to come and rescue me. In fact, they're already here. There we go, Noel Fielding. Um, clearly going for a very, very uh, proper period accent and period language <laughs> oh, yeah. in this. <laughs> oh, yeah. They Not are striving Chris. for authenticity in this. Nothing. So I, I, I found it sometimes like a scrappy sideways cross between Drunk History and Monty Python, although it might be cleverer than the former, but not as sharp as the latter. Um, mm. and, I'm, and when it comes to no feeling, I totally agree with Jen. He is an acquired taste, and sometimes it's difficult to know where his characters end and the real life no feeling begins. Yeah. And you could argue that... And I was going to actually make it, uh, you know, I was going to differentiate between the costumes that he wears in the Great British Bake Off and this. But actually, if he showed up on the Great British Bake Off and some of the outfits that he has on here, you wouldn't be yeah. surprised. But I am totally into whatever Noel Fielding's thing You're is. You're enjoying this, it, yeah. Yeah, I am enjoying it. And it's nice to see some other great British I was going to say, give, give us a little bit of a sense of the band of merry men and women that are around him. Yeah, that's true. Because in this, in the, in the first or the second installment, he actually, he's he's picked up to, to join this band of highwaymen. And on his first day, he actually kills their leader, Tom King. So he becomes becomes the new uh, de facto leader and they, they look up to him because he's a little bit odd because he's a little bit different and uh, one of the uh, one of the highway women the only highway women Ellie Weiss uh, portray, uh, portraying Nell Brazier uh, she wanted to be the leader of the gang but she kind of sees that the other boys are and just is she, the, is she the one that's the writer of crime of true crime fiction or yes no it? sorry yes. There's, there, no there's a true crime uh, uh, fiction writer following around and delivering all these pamphlets about Dick Turpin's time the whole thing sounds silly that's because it is I actually I love the silliness I love mm. the fact that after every night of you know being high women and doing yeah. whatever high women do they, they all convene in this pub to see who's the top of the high women charts it's like so, top of the pops for yeah. like highwaymen okay. and then like you have Noel Fielding's character you know knitting leg warmers and balaclavas and Mark Wooten is in it as part of the band of kind of merry men and he's a really under rated comic actor I think people would know him from Shirley Ghostman was his finest era I think and someone like he almost steals the show for me but then right. Taskmaster fans will be happy to know that Greg Davies okay. pops up too I mm. need to drop He's my poor face and have a little <laughs> bit more humour when I'm watching it I might have been watching it at the wrong time under a little bit of pressure so a little bit more relaxed stars from you I think it's yeah. like a mix between ghosts and <clears> what we do in the shadows it's somewhere in the middle of that and for me I think it would be three and a half three and a half I think they should have kept the Adam and the Ants version of Stand Deliver the original version yeah. for the title sequence and I also think that they missed a the trick not having on this on at Christmas because it would have been great for those in between days. It does feel like something that would be on the BBC. I could see myself getting yeah. lost in that with yeah. eating biscuits and drinking too much sherry, possibly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, but it does what it's supposed to do. It's a lot of fun. Three and a half out of five. Three and a half out of five. All right, let us move on then to our third and final offering this evening. Faith, this brand new Irish comedy on Virgin Media. Baz Ashwami, co-writer, along with Stephanie Preiser and Mandy McKeown. He also stars in the six-part series. Ashwami plays Sam, a newly single Irish-Egyptian dad who has trouble adapting to the responsibility of raising his three young daughters with his recently deceased wife. And when you say recently deceased wife, you say, all oh, right, is this kind of a soft sentimental thing? I mean, she's knocked down by Mr. Cohn. Yeah. <laughs> and the not ice Mr. Cohn, the neighbour. No, yeah. the Mr. C-O-N-E. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they make that joke about Mr. Cohn, the neighbour. Um, the, the tone here is high comedy from the start. Mm, it is. Like, I mean, I think you can see the the fingerprints of something like Sharon Horgan's output like it's a little bit like catastrophe a little bit like Bad mm. Sisters they also used a sight gag in the first episode that was in Frank of Ireland um, 
and that had me worried that it was going to be a bit telegraphed from other shows but it kind of it settles down in episode two and it becomes a little bit it's more sturdy because it's concentrating on the family as a whole so it's not exactly your laugh out loud yeah. funny at times like there is a lot of setup gag and setup you know routine through it but it's more there's a little bit of a dramedy kind of to it because it's about you know Sam's daughters as well and they're sewn into the their narrative is sewn into the chaos mm. of this narrative and they're He's, they're attempting to keep him together and keep themselves together after their mom's death. So it's a little bit more serious when yeah. it comes to their stories. And, and the faith, what does, what's the faithless aspect of it referring to, Chris? Well, there's this uh, constant battle between Sam's family and Tracy's family because Sam is Irish Egyptian um, about which religion uh, they, they should be. Yeah, and so he kind a of Muslim wants a background and, a, and yeah. a Christian background. Yeah, so you've got Mo, Sam's father, kind of, you know, t- telling the kids about, you know, their background. And then you've got Tracy's family who are still hanging around. You've got our campion playing. Uh, Sam's brother-in-law, uh, sort of, kind of, you know, preaching the 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 Catholic ways, and they the way Sam looks at it is like the kids are kind of free to, you know, d- decide for themselves. So there is that element of it. Um, actually, the, the thing I like about this is that Baz Ashmawi, you know, who who has never really delivered anything like this before because his background is in mm. television presenting, he he writes very good messy characters, and messy characters are great for comedy. Yeah. Um, and there's an awful lot here about how it's a great you know, gormous look. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Sam isn't just you know lost because he's grieving his wife. Sam is lost because for the first time he has to face up to his adult yeah. responsibilities and he's not able for that. So he has, I think, developed an interesting character. Not a yeah. very funny one, but, a, but an interesting one. Yeah, an interesting one. one. Right. Well, let's have a listen to him in action with his daughter, Nancy, who has made her own lunch on the way to school. You kind of need to see this. She's got a very messy jam sandwich in her bag. She's about five or six, maybe. Yeah. She shouldn't be making her own lunch, I would hazard to say. Bajaswami and Carmen Rose Yosef talking about school lunches. I made my lunch, Baba. When? In the morning. Who made it? Me. I'm just not very good at buttering the bread yet. I'm still practicing. It's okay. It's not your fault. But like you say, Baba, it means never give up. <sighs> I'm not very good, Daddy, am I? You're the bestest, Daddy. You're just not a very good mommy yet. Sorry. We're still there. No, thank you. This this hat, is it a seasonal thing? Like how long are you gonna wear it for? Um, until I'm dead. Oh god. There you <laughs> Briefly, that's Bajir Swami and Carmen Rose Joseph in a scene from Faithless. Will you be watching it on Virgin Media? Is it worth the, the, the six episodes? I mean, again? I think it's, it's got enough there to make people interested. Stars. So three. And Chris? I think it would have worked better with a proper actor at the centre, unfortunately. Mm. But I am glad that somebody is making right. the effort to have an Irish sitcom on television. All so right. Shogun, Shogun is on Disney+. Plus. First two episodes are out now. Completely made up Adventures of Dick Turpin on Apple TV from Friday the 1st. And Faith is on Virgin Media. Mondays at 9pm. It's available on demand as well. Uh, answer to tonight's competition regarding That They May Face the Rising Sun and John McGarren. Leitrim is, of course, the answer. And winning the prize of going to the closing night gala of the Dublin International Film Festival and the night in the Marion Hotel. Seb Flynn, congratulations to you, Seb. That is our lot for this Wednesday evening. Paula Shields and Liam Murphy researched. Ollie Hamilton was the broadcast coordinator. Liam Mullen was on sound this evening. And tonight's programme produced by Sinead Egan. Talk to you tomorrow night once again, 7 o'clock here on RTE Radio 1. And John Creedon, is he back from the Folk Awards? He may be having a night off on Fake No Brain or maybe in studio. Not sure. One or other of them will be with you after the news.